Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Rob Breckenridge. On today's episode, we speak with Gil McGowan, president of the Alberta Federation of Labor, on why public sector unions are gearing up for a fight with the Kenny government. Also, Calgary City Council has approved a tax shift. What does that mean for Calgary small businesses? Plus, an important court decision regarding beer policy, tariffs, and interprovincial trade. But they're making this out to be like the arrival of the apocalypse. This is ridiculous. This is, by modern Canadian fiscal standards, one of the most modest periods of fiscal restraint. Okay, so that was the Premier over the weekend responding to critics uh, who were gearing up for a a major battle over the government's planned cost-cutting measures. Now, going into the weekend, uh, the Alberta Union of uh, Provincial Employees released a number of letters uh, from the Alberta government, from the Finance Department, uh, that reveals possible uh, future job reductions, possibly as many as four or 5,000 positions. 2,500 potentially government of employee, uh, government of Alberta employees, uh, 2,000 to 3,000 possible cuts at Alberta Health Services. Uh, however, it's not guaranteed that we are going to see those job losses. Now, the letters talk about initiatives that could impact approximately 2,500 positions, for example, the government uh, of Alberta employees, but lays out initiatives that the government wants to implement suggesting that some of these job losses could be minimized or avoided. Is the government prepared to work with public sector unions or public sector unions prepared to work with the government? It certainly doesn't feel as though we're headed to that. Judging by the weekend, uh, the premier on the stump of the UCP AGM and outside uh, over a thousand protesters uh, making it clear that uh, they are going to fight this government every step of the way. Even potentially, as our next guest has suggested, an across-the-board general strike. Gil McGowan is president of the Alberta Federation of Labor, joins us on the line here this afternoon. Gil, appreciate making some time for us here. Welcome to the program. It's my pleasure. Uh, are, are we really seriously uh, at the point where uh, a general strike is or, or should be on the table? Well, I'll be honest. Uh, over the last two weeks, and especially uh, over the last few days, uh, I've been getting multiple calls and messages from angry Albertans asking for a general strike. Um, This is not a conversation that we started ourselves, uh, but it is a conversation that a lot of public sector workers and their families and people are concerned about the direction that the UCP is taking. This is a conversation that's being had. Um, and I, you know, and I think that the, the government should take it seriously and, and understand that there are consequences, uh, to their decisions. And, um, that I'm, I'm actually very pleased that you played that quote from Jason Kenney's speech, uh, off the top of this interview, uh, because that's a very clear illustration of the problem. And, uh, I think people in our province have come to understand that Jason Kenney, uh, if he has a superpower, uh, it is uh, political spin, and uh, that was one of the most outrageous examples of political spin that I've ever uh, I've ever heard. And it helps explain why uh, public sector workers, in particular, are so enraged right now because he's basically trying to say say that uh, our concerns about our jobs and about the services that we provide uh, are ridiculous, 
and that we're overreacting. Uh, and he says that this is these are not big cuts. This is just you know modest uh, fiscal restraint. But I think your readers have to understand that uh, the premier is playing some pretty slippery games with numbers. He talks about a 2.8 percent cut. But people have to understand that what he's talking about is reducing public sector spending by 2.8% this year and then keeping it there year after year after year uh, with no end in sight, even while our population grows and and we experience inflation. So at the end of the four-year term that's outlined in his budget, what we will see is that per capita spending on public services in this province, including education, healthcare, infrastructure, all these things that provide such an important foundation for our economy, that public sector spending is going to be cut by 20%. That's not moderate. That's draconian. Uh, so at this point, Gil, I mean, you know, for, for public sector unions, uh, in terms of the, the response here, what, what do you say then to the suggestion that you'd be better off working with the government, doing what you can to save jobs instead of going to war with, with the government that, that certainly has a, a mandate? The government has a mandate to, and I, I, I think every, every Albertan heard this during the election campaign, and this is what they voted for, jobs, economic growth, and pipelines. Uh, Jason Kenney and the UCP are zero for three. Um, laying off thousands and thousands of public sector workers is the opposite of job creation. Uh, you know, the, the resulting suppression in consumer spending, because when you lay off a teacher, a nurse, or other pu- public sector worker, or reduce their salary, that doesn't just affect them. It affects the whole economy because they're not buying houses, they're not uh, buying cars, they're not shopping at a local mall. And we've actually modeled uh, the, the impact on the broader economy. And, uh, and our economists are telling us that cuts of this magnitude to jobs and wages uh, will suppress our economy by about 4.8% of GDP. And, you know, I think everyone agrees that our economy is still pretty shaky. It did recover uh, from the global oil price collapse in 2017 and 2018, but it's starting to get shaky again. But cuts of this magnitude, while we're teetering on the edge of a recession, it's not going to grow the economy. It's going to hurt it. It's going to, in fact, it'll probably tip us into a recession. But unlike the last recession, which was a result of a collapse in global oil prices beyond the control of any government, this one will be a choice. So, so we want it, we want it to bear his, uh, bear Jason Kenney's name. It will be the Kenney recession. Uh, on the question uh, of wage rollbacks, you had alluded to it, and and I think the government seems to be setting the stage here, maybe to, to give public sector unions uh, a choice: job losses or, or wage rollbacks. Are, are you prepared? Should unions be prepared to consider wage rollbacks as a way of keeping people employed? <laughs> I'll respond to that in two ways. First. Jason Kenney has proven himself to be entirely uh, lacking in, in trustworthiness. Um, I, I mean, and, and the fact that he talks about his willingness to sit down with us and consult, uh, as he did in his speech to uh, UCP delegates at the AGM over the weekend, it's ridiculous. I mean, this is the guy who uh, just seized the retirement savings of literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Albertans who, who save for their retirement uh, through our big public sector pension plans. He seized control of those assets with zero consultation. It was like three days of debate in the legislature. He never, he never, this is not something that he ran on in the election. There were, there's no effort to reach out to the unions involved. There were no consultations. He just did it. And now he will, now all of a sudden he wants us to trust that, uh, that he will sit down 
and consult with us in good faith. With you know, with due respect, this man knows nothing about good faith. Um, and then the second way I would respond to is, you know, th- this is exactly the same deal uh, that was offered to public sector workers by Ralph Klein in the 90s. He said, um, you know, we're facing a deficit situation. Uh, help us address that deficit by accepting wage rollbacks. And in the, in the 90s, all of our public sector unions, every single one, agreed to that deal. And he said, if you accept a 5% rollback, we will protect your jobs. And the ink was not even dry on those agreements before Ralph Klein broke the promise and started laying off literally uh, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of public sector workers. So this is exactly what we expect, again, from another brand of conservative government. We actually trust Jason Kenney even less than we trusted uh, uh, Ralph Klein. So it's one of the, this is a situation of fool me once, shame on me, fool us twice, shame on you, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. Um, something else Kenny said over the weekend. He said, I do not think something like a general strike demanding an 8% increase in wages when the fifth year of an economic decline will be well received by Albertans who pay the bills. Uh, who is asking for 8% and, and is that a realistic ask uh, for, for any public sector worker at this time? Well, I think it's important to understand that uh, public sector workers in this province have already shared the pain uh, of the recession. Every single uh, public sector union in this province uh, freely negotiated uh, wage freezes for the last three years. So there hasn't been a wage increase in the public sector for three years. And in some cases, the wage freezes have gone back as far as six or seven years. That's the, the teachers haven't had a wage increase in six or seven years. So, um, and you also have to recognize that when you go to the bargaining table, uh, you set out a position and then you bargain towards the center. So is it, is it a surprise that, and I know that one of our unions, uh, put an 8% wage increase on the table, but no one ever expected that that's where it would end up. It's a bargaining position. So he's, he's spinning once again. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and the reality is, that Alberta uh, has, is still the wealthiest province in the country by almost every definition. We have the uh, highest per capita GDP. We have the highest wages in the private sector. Uh, we even continue and, and continue to have the highest rates of per capita business investment in the country, even when the New Democrats were in power. And this notion that uh, a province as wealthy as ours can't afford uh, decent public services is just a myth. Like, I, I don't understand why people aren't up in arms with Jason Kenney and all this, you know, economic disaster talk, because it's actually driving investment away from our province. I mean, he's talking down our province day after day after day to justify cuts uh, well, to, to suit his ideological right. agenda and pay for these monstrous uh corporate tax cuts that he's given to his corporate friends, profitable corporations. That's really what's happening here. And, and this is why public sector workers are so angry. He wants public sector workers and healthcare education across the board to pay for an irresponsible $4.7 billion tax cut to profitable corporations. And these are companies that we've seen it. They've, they've, like, like Husky just today, they, they got a $233 million tax break 
ostensibly to help them create jobs and, and investment in Alberta. But they just announced today that they're taking the money and they're running. They're laying off 370 uh, people and reducing their spending on the province by $500 million. Okay, so Gil, let me ask, let me ask you a question. Creation. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let me ask you this then. I mean, and, and this goes back to, to the Blue Ribbon panel that, that the Kenny government called together. Why, why is it then? You talk about us as, as one of the wealthiest provinces in the country. Why, why is it that we pay more per capita on public services than any other province? Well, <laughs> what, what's broken uh, is not uh, our our. Uh, our spending, what it's broken is our system of revenue collection. Um, you know, because we, we have this huge economy that is, by almost every me- measure, the strongest in the country. So the question is, why is that not translating into a strong public service? The reason is because we collect a tiny portion of, of our economic pie compared to other provinces. Like other provinces collect about 20% of their uh, provincial economy to pay for education, healthcare, and other public services. We create, we collect only about 13%. And the, and, and, and this is the myth of the, the, the so-called Alberta advantage that, that Ralph Klein, Ralph Klein propagated. He basically said we can have, uh, Canadian standard services or better with lower taxes. And, but it was a, it was a political sleight of hand. Basically what he did, in order to pay for those services and, and investments and things like infrastructure was to take the proceeds of selling our publicly owned resources and use them to subsidize artificially low taxes. That, that only works as long as oil and gas prices remain high. When they collapse, which they inevitably will, it creates a budget hole. That's what's caused our deficit. And, and so until, until we get our heads around, and, and, and I think everyone in this province agrees, those high prices for oil and gas are not coming back. So until we get our heads around uh, the need to actually pay Canadian standard taxes to get Canadian standard services, either we're going to have to have deficits, which was what happened under the NDP, or we're going to have to have massive cuts for the services that we rely upon. Okay, but Gil, I, think I, I, I don't way. think you answered the, the question, way, though. The third, the third way is to actually start paying something closer to the Canadian average in terms of taxes. If we did, we'd have a surplus right now. We could, you know, if, if we were closer to the Canadian average in taxes, we'd have an extra... Well, okay, but I mean, the same thing could be said about the, the, uh, the Canadian average on spending, Gil. Right? If we were at the Canadian average, a per capita public spending, we would have a surplus then too, wouldn't well, we? Well, well let, let me tell you the secret here, Rob, about the, the reason that we spend more per capita on public services is because we have... Uh, because everyone in Alberta gets higher wages. And but that's is, not the reality is, right now, is it? No, no, it is. <laughs> right now, Canadian hmm. wa- Alberta wages are almost 20% higher than the Canadian average. And it's even higher when you compare private sector Alberta workers to private sector uh, workers in other provinces. So we, have, we have a wage premium because we have a strong economy. I would suggest that that's a good thing. When people get paid well, it's good for them as individuals and their families, but it's also good for the economy because like 60% of our economy is driven by consumer spending. You have more money in your pocket. It makes it makes for a stronger economy. So I'm not going to apologize for the fact that public sector workers, uh, you know, through our unions, we've, we've negotiated to get a, you know, a fair share of what had been a very robust economy. So, uh, and, and private sector wages have not collapsed. They have not. This is a myth. And, and this notion that the public sector workers have not shared the pain. Here's the thing, you know, during those long boom years, uh, you know, from 2004 to 2014, 
while wages in the private sector were going up, you know, five, six, sometimes seven percent a year. In the public sector, they were going up zero, one, two, three percent a year. And so, you know, the public sector workers, they, people are saying, you know, share the pain. Well, you know what? They didn't share the gain. Uh, they, they did not share the gain to the same extent as the private sector. And, and so it's completely unfair, inappropriate and bad for the economy uh, to try to take it out of their hides today. All right. So, Gil, where, where is this all headed to here, you think? Uh, well, it is heading for a showdown um, because, you know, public sector workers in this province, whether it's education, health care uh, or other parts of the public sector, uh, they have been suffering uh, even during the boom years with uh, lower wage increases every year, years of freezes, um, underfunding of core services like education and health care. I mean, we, 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 right now, even before these cuts are starting to ripple through the, the economy, we've got classrooms with 40 kids. We've got uh, long waiting lists for, uh, uh, you know, for, for various health services. These cuts are going to be devastating. They're going to make a, bad, a situation that's already not ideal much worse. All right. And so, you know, from our perspective in the labor movement, uh, standing up and pushing it back against this irresponsible agenda of paying for corporate tax cuts by cutting services, uh, we feel like, uh, you know, we need to do this, not only for our jobs, but for the services that Albertans rely on, and frankly, for the sake of our economy. Because if Jason Kenney goes down this road of austerity, He's going to tip us into a recession. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we're pushing back uh, because we think that this is an irresponsible uh, agenda. It's an irresponsible. He's taking us down a very dangerous road that will make us look more like, you know, an, uh, you know, a state in in the southern United States that underinvests in education and uh, healthcare and infrastructure. And we've already seen. I mean, the Calgary Chamber of Commerce just last week said. You know, this kind of, this kind of approach is scaring investment away from our province. Well, the separatist and, approach. I, I don't think it'd be fair to call Jason Kenney a separatist. Uh, Gail, yeah, I, I, you know what? No, 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 no come on, Rob. Well, what? The, the, no, that's the, what the, she the said. I think you're misrepresenting what Mary Moran no, said when, to score when, some when political to, points. No, she no, said the, the waxit, the waxit. No, what? no, he has a flamethrower in one hand and a, and, a, and a squirt gun on the other hand. He's, he's a fire starter when it comes to all this talk about separatism. He pretends to be a federalist, but he's loving it. He's, he, no. This is well, how he look, wins. He whips up his base. Or right? you give and people like, an outlet. Otherwise, you, you, you let it become a big problem. So uh, there's, there's different approaches. I, I guess <laughs> people can take their pick as to what they think is the most effective to, uh, to putting out that fire. Well, <laughs> putting up that fire by, by throwing more fuel on, that's exactly what Jason Kenney has been doing. So, you know, this mm. guy is a, this guy is a destroyer. Uh, he, he hasn't, uh, he, 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 like, you know, Rachel Notley used to say she builds and hires. This guy cuts and fires. I haven't seen anything from him in terms of agenda that doesn't involve a cut, doesn't involve a rollback, doesn't invite, a, doesn't involve a fight. Um, I, you know, my question for Albertans is, is this, is this what you want? Is you want to have this constant confrontation, this constant anxiety? Uh, because that's what he's doing. He's whipping people up, we'll see. Uh, All right. pointing we'll see. figures, yeah. making yeah. enemies. People have the choice here in terms of the, the approach they, they support. We had an election. We got a new government. We'll see how, how this goes over with Albertans. Gil, I got to let you go. We're right out of time, but I do appreciate you joining us here today. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Take All right. Care. Gil McGowan, president of the Alberta Federation of Labor.
That means that small businesses across the city will not have the same problem that they've had in the past years of these huge tax increases that have made it really hard for some businesses outside of the downtown to survive. Okay, so that was the mayor on Friday talking about the budget that's been approved and the tax shift was a necessary step. But the end result is not going over well with everybody. So there's still some additional work to be done. But I think it was clear that the the tax burden in Calgary was uh, too largely being placed on the shoulders of businesses. And that needed to change. So, yes, it is a positive, I think, that City Council has recognized that and moved to change that. But the end result now, for now, is that residential ratepayers are going to be having to cough up a little bit more. Uh, so how do we address the overall tax burden as a result now going forward? But what has happened now? is that city council has uh, shifted the tax burden to a 42 or to a 52-48 split. Residential picks up that 52%, business covers that 48%. So it does alleviate some of the insanity that businesses have been dealing with. But there is still the question, I think, uh, of the overall tax burden at City Hall. What this means, the typical Calgary home expected to pay an additional 10 or $11 a month on the municipal property tax bill. But certainly uh, small businesses uh, throughout the city have been pushing for uh, this change. And joining us uh, for some reactions, some of we've spoken to numerous times uh, through this debate. Kelly Duty joins us, uh, owner, uh, founder and CEO of the Social School based out of Inglewood. Kelly, thanks for joining us. You're welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, pleasure to be here. All right. So your reaction uh, to, to this change and the decision council made? Um, you know, my initial reaction was gratitude and, and to be honest, shock that uh, a decision to adjust the ratio was made so quickly without further dithering or without a phased introduction of it right. is long overdue. And so, yeah, there, there was a, a bit of relief there. Uh, talk about why it, it was so important to, to shift that burden. Well, because when, um, you know, the, the ratio being so skewed in the wrong direction meant that for every dollar in tax, property tax a homeowner pays, a business was paying like $4.75. And the Municipal Government Act that is mandated by the provincial government says that it can't go past one to five. And when you get into a $1 to $5 ratio, any kind of territory close to one to five, every economist will tell you it's a very inhospitable place to do business and that those are reserved for like industrial centers. So if Edmonton is at $2, you know, one to two fifty ish and most other centers are closer to that one to two mark then Calgary operating at that really skewed ratio where we're, where every business is paying almost five times what a homeowner's paying, it becomes almost impossible to stay afloat. So this was a big part of the problem and the, the crazy increases that a lot of businesses, yours included, were seeing was a result of this, this previous balance. Totally. You've got these different um, multiplying factors, right? So first thing first, you have your biggest underlying factor, which is the assessed value of a commercial building, which was my first issue, our first complaint, because they were so out of whack. Second, you have the mill rate or the tax rate, which was going up 20% per year. It's gone up 66%. Um, the, the business property tax in four years in Calgary. And that's not the provincial tax. It's just the city tax on businesses. And then you multiply it again by this, um, well, another factor within the mill rate, I suppose, is that ratio that, that makes it so high. So there's a number of factors. And when one is big, that's a problem. When three or two of them are really big, it just compounds into 
two and 300, 400% tax increases on a single, single business in a single year. Yeah, which is just crazy. So mm-hmm. um, we, we've addressed that. But I mean, that's not to say the businesses aren't going to see a tax increase next year. I mean, it, I think it, it lowers what that might have otherwise been, but there, there will still be a, an increase in the tax bill for many businesses, won't there? Absolutely, yeah. Like, I think, um, I mean, the projections with some of the example, sample businesses on 17th Ave, for example, they're saying at minimum 12%, some will see 17, 18%. That's if you haven't seen an increase in your assessed value, which we know will go up because God knows how they do that. The assessment system is such a problem, in my opinion. It needs to be so arm's length from the city, and it's not. Um, and then we've already seen, I've had two business owners call me in the last 10 days, both of whom have opened their 2020 tax bill, and they've seen a doubling. Like uh, my friend Ben, who owns Per in Kensington, his tax bill 2019 on his single unit building in Kensington for a, a retailer uh, was 69000 in 2019, and it's 141000 in uh, 2020. Yeah. So that's before he knows the mill rate. So it'll go up higher in June. Right. And so that's still the reality. So we, we've addressed part of the problem here, I guess, right? But there, there's still some issues that need to be dealt with at City Hall. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. I, I really hate to say it, but if nothing else, now that the residents are going to see the same increase, and I, I'm a homeowner, I, I'm just swallowing hard, shaking my head that we're going to all see this seven to eight, maybe higher percent increase on our homes next year. Um, I don't even want to say it's a silver lining because it's such a kick in the gut, but now we're all acutely aware of what I can only call an overspending problem. I don't know what else we can all let it kind of boil down to. We're all now going to feel it. Right. And that, that needs to be addressed then is right. Is what you're saying. I think so. I mean, spend it any way they want. We've got, you know, we're getting such great value for service. We're doing so well compared to other cities. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm just so tired of hearing it when in fact, we're in an epic amount of challenges and we're trying our best to be optimistic. I think every homeowner, every business owner, but we've got 68,000, I think last I heard, unemployed Calgarians. That's the whole population of Airdrie. Like we can't get, we can't recover and really surge again and diversify our economy until we're honest about where we're at. And that's what I'm just so tired of. And, you know, hearing Mayor Nenshi on Friday, I think one of the final debates about the budget where he said, he quoted a 17th Avenue restaurant owner from several months back and said, you know, it's just this sentiment that if he, he told me if he just had a few customers at lunchtime, it'd be fine. And like, I'm sorry, we're so far past that right now, you Uh, know? And so, yeah. Right. And I mean, it's, it's unfortunate because I think this is going to pit, uh, you know, businesses against against homeowners. And as you say, I mean, obviously, a lot of business owners are, are both in this city. Um, but that that's not what this should be. Right. I mean, this is about, um, you know, fixing a problem that exists. But, it, but everyone should be in, in this together. Yeah, absolutely. And it's even more sad pitting businesses or any kind of citizen against citizen, but also, you know, when we're having to choose between frontline services, I got a lot of accusations about my business getting reprieve last year, which did not happen. Um, After our tax rally in June, I wrote $10,000 more property tax checks. I didn't get any reprieve, Mm -hmm. Uh, but being pitted against the the most vulnerable citizens in the city and that we suddenly have to choose and that council's asking us to choose the mayor himself saying, well, what should we cut? Like it's, it's just, it's unfortunate. And uh, yeah, if anything else, I think those that have educated themselves can see that businesses are not getting a break here. And, you know, homeowners are not now paying the price instead of it's a shared burden by all. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody needs to be more aware. And if, if nothing else, I suppose that's happened. Yeah, well said. All right, Kelly, we'll see where things go from here. Appreciate it. Make some time for us here today. 
Thanks, Rob. Thanks so much. Uh, Kelly Duty, uh, owner of the Social School in Inglewood, uh, on Twitter at Kelly underscore uh, Duty also social school.io. All right, well, an update on, on something that became a real issue under the previous government, and, and it's gone kind of quiet because uh, certainly it appears as though the new government is inclined to take a different approach on these matters, but it concerns Alberta's beer policies and the legal battles that resulted from that. Uh, the NDP uh, government had the idea that uh, they wanted to build up Alberta's craft brewing industry, and, and fine, yeah, fair enough, absolutely, right? Uh, let's build up that industry. But the question of how we do it becomes rather crucial. Uh, what the Alberta government did was essentially then create tariffs for out-of-province beers. And under the Constitution, that's a no-no. Now, of course, the Alberta government claimed, no, 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 they're, they're not tariffs. Not at all. Um, but they didn't fare too well in courts. And so today, uh, another example of that, the Alberta Court of Appeal today deciding that uh, two policies of the previous government did indeed violate Canada's free trade guarantee contained in Section 121 of the Constitution Act. This was the case brought forward uh, by some breweries, including Steam Whistle, uh, based out of Ontario. A Great Western was uh, another brewery that based in Saskatchewan that had brought a case against the uh, Alberta government. Joining us to talk more about all of this is Derek Frum. He's a staff lawyer with the Canadian Constitution Foundation, the CCF.ca. Derek, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Rob. Um, so first of all, explain the, uh, the CCF's involvement in, in these cases. Well, there's been a whole cluster of cases on this issue. And, yeah. and uh, it, it does get kind of confusing because it just seems like everything on this issue has to do with beer, which I have to, I guess, apologize to your audience today for, and that that's confusing, but that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we at the CCF, we became involved in this particular case uh, because it had to do with a very important case that we took all the way to the Supreme Court, and that was a case called Como. And Como had to do with beer in New Brunswick being brought back into that province from Quebec, and in 2018, we got a decision from the Supreme Court of Canada on that uh, issue. And then this Alberta case just happens to be the very first time that a high-level court, like the Court of Appeal here in Alberta, has had to interpret Como and apply it to a different tax situation. So we were keenly interested in being at court for this, so we intervened, because we want to be sure that the Como decision, which was effectively just newly born, uh, gave a new interpretation, a new meaning to Section 121 in our Constitution, revitalized it, that the court had full argument on that in that uh, the interests of Canadian uh, Canadians, not just the particular parties that were you know, part of this litigation, but that all Canadians were represented in court that day. Okay, so this case that involves steam whistle. Now, the Alberta government, the previous government, had already lost in court. This is the, res- the this case or this ruling today is the result of the appeal that the Alberta government launched. Is that correct? That is correct. So it was uh, back. You know, it was actually on your show, Rob, that uh, this news originally broke, and I heard about it, and it was back in what 2015, I think, in October. And uh, I was listening to your show, and I heard this, and someone called in from a local uh, uh, agency called Artisan Ales and said that they were going to be impacted by this policy change they'd heard about the night before. And uh, their tax rate was going up by 525%. 
And so this policy change that happened back then in 2015 um, basically set up a firewall around Western Canadian provinces. And so anyone who was outside of what's called the New West Partnership, which is BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, their beer was going to cost significantly more. So uh, the government at the time, I don't think, thought through this very carefully because what it did was it had a huge impact um, on many local Alberta businesses because many Alberta businesses actually bring in beer from outside the New West Partnership, and they were going to you know, be devastated by this. So after hearing your show, I wrote a letter to uh, then Minister of Finance, Joe Cece, informing him that he was actually violating the Constitution. And I was familiar with this because I had been working on this very issue for five years before that, um, preparing for this Como case at the Supreme Court of Canada. And so I wrote him a, a letter and said, look, this is an obvious violation. It's a tariff barrier. What you're doing is you're putting an economic barrier around uh, certain provinces to keep beer out from other provinces. So effectively, you're trying to benefit one group at the expense of another. And that's a no-go in our under our Constitution. And so after I wrote that letter, there was some humming and hawing, and Steam Whistle then, of course, they were impacted because they're from Ontario. They were one of the outsiders. Uh, they were impacted. They went to court in January 2016 and got an injunction protecting them from, from uh, that policy at the time that increased their tax rate by 525% literally overnight. And uh, so then... The, the government of the day rejigged their program and they tried to do what we would call, you know, trying to do in two steps what you're not allowed to do in one. So what they did then is and they uh, purportedly took this firewall down from around the western provinces. And what they did is they charged everyone at a higher rate. But then under the table, they had a subsidy program that, that made all Alberta brewers whole as if they had not been paying the higher rate. Right. So they just did did a two step where previously they'd been doing it in one step. Right. So and it's so still a tariff then. It's still a tariff. It's functionally equivalent. Yeah. And so uh, at that point, a Saskatchewan brewer became involved because now they were impacted. They were an outsider, and that's Great Western Brewing. And uh, and so they went to court. They also got an injunction. And so uh, then this was heard, I believe, in the spring of 2017 or 2018. 2018. And they won. The Brewers won. Alberta lost. It was appealed by the government. And in April of this year, we had the appeal hearing, which the CCF intervened in, uh, presenting our Como arguments. And uh, we just got the decision this morning, and we're very happy with the result. Well, and it, it strikes, I, I think, an important principle here. It, it emphasizes an important principle. Is it, is it kind of a moot point in a way, Derek? Had, had these policies already been changed by the new government? It is a moot point in a way, but, you know, it's a, it's a vindication. So, yeah. you, again, <laughs> got to step back and tell another story. And, and uh, <laughs> that story is Artisan Ales. Yes. So Artisan Ales, a local agency, um, you know, it's not a big company. It was a ma and pa shop, effectively a small Alberta business that was grown by people who actually loved their, their industry. And what they, they found is that their business was completely decimated by both of these, the 2015 and the the more sophisticated 2016 uh, policy changes. So when we contacted them, the CCF contacted them, uh, they were willing to uh, take this matter before the courts or before something we suggested. We suggest an alternative. 
um, we suggested that we vindicate their constitutional rights using a trade agreement. So that was the agreement on internal trade, which has now been subsumed or has changed into the Canadian Free Trade Agreement. But at the time, it was the agreement on internal trade, which protects the same sort of rights as Section 121 in our Constitution does. So we were successful at every step there. We won at the first step at the trade uh, the trade panel level. We won on appeal when when Alberta lost. They appealed. They they just wouldn't give up. They wouldn't say, admit they were wrong, and uh, they appealed. We won there, and then they actually failed to implement uh, the changes that they were uh, told to implement. And they did it a few weeks late and had an enormous impact last Christmas time when they dragged their feet. And uh, then we uh, took them to, uh, again, uh, complain to the AIT folks and uh, under, uh, forgetting the name, but uh, they didn't comply with the order they were given. So uh, they were slapped on the wrist again and said, look, you have to fall in line. You have to actually follow the agreements that you're signed on to. And so that came in June. So the policy is gone. But the court decision is still there. And what's important here is a number of things. This is the first time that the courts, an appellate court in Canada, has really looked at Section 121. So it's always interesting. Like in Como, we had a very particular fact situation. It was somebody who was carrying beer across the border from Quebec into New Brunswick. And it had to do with uh, the personal exemption limit and the particular laws of New Brunswick and how that would apply to Section 121. But this now is an economic policy of a government um, who is protecting local industry and supplying a subsidy or a grant program under the table to make them whole. Now, so very different fact scenario, but the same piece of the Constitution. So that's why this is important, even though these this particular uh, policy has been struck down already through our AIT process. This is important because this this is the, the breath of life into Section 121. And this is a very important provision in the Constitution. And, and I, I, I like to rant about this a little bit with my friends, and they get very annoyed because, <laughs> <laughs> because you know, this is, this, is real, this is the real human rights meat and bones of our Constitution, really when you get down to it, because our economic lifeblood, our ability to trade freely with one another across these barriers within our country is really what improves our quality of life more than more than many things that are in our constitution and so like the impact of free trade barriers currently in our country are estimated from anywhere between 50 up to 130 billion dollars that's 130 billion dollars of encumbrances on Mm -hmm. our trading within this country and if we just do some rude math here and say well if that was all back in our pockets it's kind of unfair to say that but if that was all back in our pockets It'd be like $7,500 per household in this country. It's an enormous amount of money that's just being lost through these trade barriers. And that's why I was so encouraged uh, during the summer when, when uh, Premier Kenny actually said that he's going to unilaterally start, stop dropping these barriers and Alberta is going to lead the way. Because you know what? It might, it might be some, uh, there might be some heartache along the way as we readjust to this new freer market in Alberta as trade barriers drop. But who the beneficiaries are are consumers. Consumers benefit enormously because what ends up happening is you have cheaper goods available and there's more variety available and more variety and cheaper goods means more choice and more wealth in the hands of Albertan because Albertans because our dollars go further. And so this is why this is such an important issue. And even though the policies are gone, these particular beer policies are gone, uh, the idea that Section 121 protects us from these sort of tariff barriers that 
are all throughout the country now. Um, these tariff barriers that encumber uh, the trade and flow of goods throughout the country and impact us up to $130 billion annually. This is a real a real issue that impacts upon the lives of everyday Canadians. And so that that's why this is so important. And that's why we were so happy to hear the court say today that the section or that the 2015 measure was unconstitutional. The 2016 measure was unconstitutional and the government can't do under the table what it's not allowed to do in open, uh, you know, being transparent about. So it was a, it was a great vindication, we believe, of section 121. And, uh, we have no idea if there's going to be an appeal. There may be an appeal. I don't know if, if the current government in Edmonton has a stomach to appeal this. My, my inclination yeah. is they probably don't, um, because we know that they're a very, uh, at least on the surface, they seem to be very trade friendly. And that's, that's for the benefit of all consumers in Alberta. Indeed. Well, more in this case at theccf.ca. Also let people know you have a separate website uh, specifically around these issues of internal trade. OneCountryOneMarket.ca is that website. Uh, Derek, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Really appreciate this. Thank you, Rob. All right, take care. That is Derek Frum with the Canadian Constitution Foundation. Again, OneCountryOneMarket.ca. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. And you can email me, Rob at 770CHQR.com. Talk to you next time. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.